Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. I want to remind you that church is not a place, it's not an address, it's not a building. So wherever you're at right now, if you're preparing lunch for your family, sitting in your living room, Later on in the week, if you're at a coffee shop, driving in your car, I just want to encourage you that if you know Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit is placed in your life. God is with you wherever you're at. You don't need to be here in this room to be a part of the body of Christ. We want to praise God for that this morning. At Faith Baptist Church, our three core values are truth, community, and engagement. We believe in the truth of the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. The words of Jesus are truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if not for the Word of God, then I would have nothing to say to you up here this morning. So everything I say this morning, I want to found and base and establish in the truth of God's Word. And that's why we're traveling right through the Bible. From cover to cover, we're on a three-year journey from the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, all the way to the last book, the book of Revelation. And it's called the Gospel Project Curriculum. We have just entered into the New Testament. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to talk about three characters. We're in a series that we're calling Rescuer. Jesus is our rescuer. He rescues us. And we want to talk particularly this morning how Jesus rescues us from the grip of fear. Have you ever been afraid? Everybody responds to fear differently, don't they? You've heard that the fear response is twofold. You either fight or you flee. Maybe we could add a third one in there. Sometimes you freeze. I don't know what type of person you are. I am a fight type of person. When I get scared, I react so quickly, I scare myself. My mom, when I was a kid, uh, she used to tuck me into bed. And I'd be in the bathroom brushing my teeth. I'd come back into my room and she would be hiding and scare me. That is not good parenting, mom. You should not do that. She would scare me and I would jump through the ceiling. I would swing, I would kick. I almost decked her a few times. We had some friends over to the house just a little while ago. And uh, the night was coming to a close. I was turning off lights. I opened this one door and I stepped into the room. It was dark and my friend Becca is standing right there. And I almost decked her. So, Becca, if you're watching, I apologize. I would never punch you. But that's not the story that I want to tell this morning. The story I want to tell, uh, it's freshman year in college. We're sitting in a theater-style classroom, 80 students. The professor comes in. I don't know if it was April Fool's Day or what, but he talked up this video that he wanted to show to introduce the class that he was going to teach. And maybe you've seen videos like this. It was a video... I think it was a car commercial. There was this car that's winding through the mountain roads around these curves, and the commentator was telling you to you know, watch this car, how it handles the curves, and his voice got a little bit lower, and it drew you in, and the frame kind of got closer, and you know what kind of video it was. This crazy face jumps onto the screen. It looked like a creature from Lord of the Rings or something, and it screams, And the whole classroom erupts, all 80 students, like, all let out a shriek, and we all jump. Well, here's here's the part of the story that I want to tell you. I need to demonstrate this. So I'm, I'm sitting in the theater seating in the classroom, these swivel chairs, 
and I have my hands buried deep in my pockets as far down as I can get them, this face jumps on the screen and it got me so bad. I mean, like, I jumped through the roof, but my hands were in my pockets. So <laughs> I pulled with all my might to get my hands up to protect myself, and I ripped both my pockets on my pants. I tore my pants wide open in the most awkward of places with 80 students in the classroom. That is embarrassment. Why do I tell you that story? I'm kind of rethinking why I told that story myself. But the reason why I tell you that story is to get your attention and let you know that sometimes fear controls us, doesn't it? How we respond to fear is what we want to talk about today. And you're aware, you've been part of the conversation. You've been reading posts online. Maybe you've been scrolling through Facebook. You've been to the grocery stores. You've been looking for toilet paper. We were looking for hand sanitizer the other day. It's gone. It's sold out. I don't think you can find it. Uh, potatoes sold off the shelves. People are posting these pictures and images of grocery stores emptying. They're posting and sharing articles with scary titles like the things doctors don't want you to know about corona. I want to let you know that people are scared. There is a lot of fear out there. And we want to address that. We, as Christians, in our response to fear, we can't allow fear to control us. We need to be controlled by faith. And this is the main point of everything I'm going to say today. So if we lose internet signal, if your device is running out of battery, this is what I want you to know right here. Fear is an opportunity for faith. Fear is an opportunity for faith. I think of Jesus... I think of when he invited the disciples to get onto that little boat. They're going across the Sea of Galilee. He knew that the waves were going to come up. He knew the wind was going to come up. He knew water was going to get into the boat. He knew it was going to be bad enough that trained fishermen were going to fear for their lives. And in that atmosphere of fear, they turn to Jesus in faith. He calms the storm. Fear is an opportunity for faith. People are scared, and this is a huge opportunity for them to turn to God in faith. Fear is an opportunity for faith. I think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, who we talked about just last week in Luke chapter 1, verse 74. I want to bring up that verse. Now, I think we're going to have the verse down here somewhere in the lower third. So if you're seeing that, we hope you can follow along at home. Grab a copy of the scriptures. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 right now, and particularly verse 74. Zechariah prophesies, and he says this, that we being delivered, that's the term rescued, Jesus is our rescuer, from the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear. We believe Jesus has not given us a spirit of fear, amen, but of love and peace and a sound mind. We don't need to be controlled by fear. We're going to look at the Christmas story today which I find kind of humorous because this doesn't really feel like the Christmas season, right? We're supposed to be practicing social distancing. Christmas is a time when family and loved ones come home for Christmas. This doesn't feel like Christmas, but somehow providentially God has lined up this curriculum so that we're talking about the Christmas story today. Kind of humorous. When I read through the Christmas story, I know you've read through the Christmas story a bunch of times. Maybe you've been to Christmas Eve church services, maybe you've seen Christmas plays, you've watched Christmas movies, you've heard the Christmas story as told from the Bible. When I read through it the last few weeks, I had two major observances. The first one is the fact that God is high and we are human. 
Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. His name shall be called Jesus. He'll be the son of the most high. And he'll be born to two no-name parents from a no-name town called Nazareth. Do you know the truth is that God is sovereign. He is above all and he is over all. Coronavirus, COVID-19, it didn't catch him by surprise. The name coronavirus has to bow to the name of Jesus because his is the name that is above every other name. God is sovereign. He is overall. That's my first observance from the Christmas story. My second one was all the fear through the passage. Maybe you've read that. Every time the angel shows up, they're greatly afraid. They're disturbed. And then the fear of an unplanned teenage pregnancy. And then not to mention the fear of the context culturally in that day and age with the Roman oppression. I mean, fear is all throughout the Christmas story. So I want to unite those two topics. And I want to say, if God is in control, which we believe he is, then we shouldn't let fear control us. If God is sovereign and overall, then we shouldn't let fear be sovereign and reign over our lives. That's an idol in our life if we are controlled by fear. Instead, we need to be controlled by faith and faith in God who is sovereign and above all. So I want to talk about how do we respond to fear. Today, while you sit in your living room, your kitchen, maybe you're with your family, your friends, you're drinking your coffee, I want to talk about three characters from three chapters in the New Testament. We're going to first look at Matthew chapter Sorry, we're going to first look at Luke chapter 1, and we're going to talk about Mary. Secondly, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 and talk about Joseph. And then we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2 and talk about the shepherds. Would you pray with me as we dig into the scripture this morning, wherever you're at? Father God, we just want to thank you so much for this opportunity to open your word. Thank you for technology. It scares us at times, and there are tons of pros and cons, but we thank you that in a time like this, you have provided in your providence a way for us to gather together around different screens and different living rooms and coffee shops and be able to hear the teaching, the praise and worship, and the community atmosphere of this local church. We thank you so much. Uh, we pray for all those who are affected by the coronavirus. We pray that you would encourage people, that you would bring healing, help, and comfort. Help us to know where we can step up to be your hands and feet, to care for those around us, Father. We pray for our government. We pray for our health care system. God, we pray now as we look into your word that you would open our eyes to the truth of what you would have for us today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you turn to Luke chapter 1? We're going to start in verse 26, and we're going to talk about Mary. This is the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, which means man of God, was sent from heaven to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now let me tell you, nothing happens in Nazareth. Nazareth is about as boring, backwoods, redneck, nothing ever happens in Nazareth. In fact, the comment was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nothing happens in Nazareth. And that's where the story begins. Verse 27, the angel showed up to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Let me explain the context. The Jewish tradition was that weddings took place in a twofold manner, and the first section of the wedding was the betrothal period. It was like the 12 months leading up to the wedding ceremony and the wedding feast. This was a contractually binding arrangement. 
It's not like our modern-day engagements. If they were to separate during the betrothal period, they would need to issue papers of divorce. So this is legally binding, but yet they have not come together to consummate the marriage for the wedding ceremony and the wedding feast. They're in this 12-month betrothal period. Do you remember how scared you were the day of your wedding? Like all of the emotion and the nerves. I don't know if they call it cold feet or what, but your stomach's kind of in knots. I remember traveling in my uncle's Jeep down the highway with my dad that uh, my uncle let us use for our wedding. Thank you, uncle. That was really kind. But I remember it was like slow motion, like cars were going by. Everything was in slow motion. It was the emotion. The big day had arrived. I was nervous. You probably felt the same way on your wedding day. But Mary is awaiting her wedding day. Luke 1.28, the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Later, they're going to call Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came not only to rescue us from the punishment of sin, but a big part of that punishment of sin is the separation that we experience from God the Father, our Creator. Jesus came to rescue us, to bridge that gap, to unite us with our Heavenly Father in a relationship with Him. So it doesn't matter where you're at today physically, spiritually, you can be connected to God the Father through a relationship through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You don't need to be sitting physically in this room to be a part of the church and part of the body of Christ because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 29, but Mary was greatly troubled at the saying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Stop it. Don't be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. Do you see God's sovereignty? The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I picture this scene. Maybe you've seen this depicted in movies or the Christmas story. I just picture like Dorothy when she arrives in the land of Oz, and she looks down at Toto and says, we're not in Kansas anymore. And I picture Mary doing this little cute cinematic from back in the 50s or whenever the Wizard of Oz came out, like, oh my, it's an angel. But that's not what the Greek language says. The Greek language says she was greatly troubled. She was disturbed. She was perturbed. She was agitated to the nth degree, to the top. This girl is freaking out. She's scared. Gabriel does a great job of calming her down, though. Do you see what he said? Just stop. Gabriel says, don't fear. Don't do it. Just stop. And I'm thinking Mary's saying, like, oh, that's a good point. I never thought of that. I'm just going to click. Okay, now I feel better. Thank you, Gabriel. That was great advice. I really appreciate that. But then Gabriel goes on. He explains himself. Don't be afraid. Because God has chosen you, which adds some pressure, doesn't it? And then he says, don't be afraid because you're going to have a child. But she's not married and she's a teenager. And then he says, but don't be afraid. That child is going to be the chosen one, the expected one, long anticipated one, the Messiah, the savior, rescuer of the world. No pressure, Mary. Like, wouldn't that just be comforting for her? 
Here's Mary's response. Here's what she says in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Do you know what it meant? Let's just get some cultural, social context here. Do you know what it meant to be a virgin in the betrothal period leading up to your wedding day and then be found to be with child that didn't belong to your engaged fiancé? Do you know what that meant? The husband had three options. Number one, and this is pretty extreme, he could execute her by stoning. Number two, he could divorce her. And number three, she would most likely be shamed and shunned by society. Think of the woman at the well that we read about, that Jesus went to and talked with, and she was so surprised because she came to the well at a time when people didn't draw water from the well because she was shamed and shunned by her society. It was a shame and honor culture. This is so much more than just an unplanned teen pregnancy that we see all the time today. This is so much more. Verse 35, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, God's sovereignty. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then jump to verse 37. Maybe this is the truth that you need to hear today. Nothing will be impossible with God. Amen? This is the virgin birth. This is a huge theological theme that we build our faith on. The fact that Jesus is the God-man. It's called the hypostatic union. We're going to dig into this next month. The fact that God is 100%, that Jesus is 100% God, and he's 100% man at the same time. Two weeks ago, Steve talked about how Jesus rescued us. He's the rescuer because he's the last Adam. He's the Adam that introduced righteousness to humanity. Now we have an opportunity to have a relationship with God, whereas the first Adam introduced sin and a train of sin. Jesus broke the mold. He was different because of the virgin birth. He didn't receive the sin, the seed of sin, from an earthly father. He was born in perfection. He didn't have a sin nature like you and I have. And that's what the virgin birth talks about, a very important aspect of our theology. Just picture young teenage Mary. She's trying to wrap her mind and heart around this whole situation. What does this mean for me, my future, for the baby, for Joseph? What are we going to do? The future is so uncertain. How do we go about this? And look at her response. Verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Do you see how fear and faith are linked? Mary didn't have all the answers. She didn't know what her future held. She didn't know what Joseph would think, what her parents would think, what society would do. She didn't know what her fate was going to be. She just had the promise of God from the angel. And we can always rest and rely on God's promises because he always comes true on his word. God is sovereign. He's above all. So instead of letting fear control us, why don't we give up control to the one who is in control? Why don't we submit ourselves and be a servant to God's plan? Because God has a plan through all of this. The next thing Mary does is she runs to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant. 
We looked at this story last Sunday when we talked about Zechariah, Elizabeth, the birth of John the Baptist. We talk about how Jesus rescues us from a life of low expectations, a victim, defeatist attitude that there's just no hope. Jesus rescues us to hope and to new life. Today we're talking about how Jesus rescues us from fear. Do you know what Mary does when she arrives in Elizabeth's home and greets her? She sings. She sings a song of praise. You can read about it from verses 46 to 55, the song of Mary. And the whole song is all about God's sovereignty, the fact that God is above all and we are beneath him. The fact that God is magnificent and we need his mercy. He's in heaven and we're here on earth. The whole song is about God's sovereignty. I don't know about you, but when I'm scared, singing is never my first response. There are so many times in life, particularly when I'm scared, when I don't feel like singing at all. Maybe that's how you felt as we had our, our band up here and we were doing that worship set this morning. But maybe singing is just what we need. Maybe when we don't feel like singing and worshiping God is the time when in fact we do need to be singing and worshiping God. Maybe you're driving on the road Right now, maybe you're at a coffee shop, maybe you're in your living room, maybe you're all by yourself, and singing just feels awkward, right? By yourself, maybe there's other people listening. Maybe right now is the time when you need to sing the most. You see, when we praise God, when we worship God, we sing and we declare with our mouths that he is great. He's above all, he's sovereign, he's got a plan, he's in control, he is gracious and good and kind. And when we declare that with our mouth, when we do that physical response, for all that God is and all that he does, it clarifies something in our heart and soul, in our mind and spirit, doesn't it? When we worship God and we declare his goodness, especially in the times when we don't feel like it. I think of Paul and Silas. They're in the prison. It's midnight. They've been praying. They've been singing hymns. They've been worshiping. I mean, in a prison. You think of the fear of that situation. Then there's an earthquake. The doors fall off. The chains fall off. God shows up in the room. The prison was designed to keep them in, but it couldn't keep God out when they started worshiping God in the midst of their fear. The jailer's so scared he's going to take his own life, but instead Paul uses the fear as an opportunity for faith, and that jailer turns to God and embraces him through faith. Fear is an opportunity for faith. We need to be able to sing in the times even when we don't feel like it, because it's an opportunity to declare that God is good, he's sovereign, and he's in control. Mary sang this song with her relative Elizabeth. And then she was there three months. I have never thought about this in my life. What was Joseph doing for those three months? Mary's away with her relative Elizabeth. What do you think Joseph was doing for those three months? Do you think he knew? Do you think he knew what was going on? Do you think he was at home worrying and fretting? Do you think Mary kind of mentioned it to Joseph and then left because she was scared to deal with the consequences. I don't think that's what happened. Maybe Mary went to Elizabeth's so that during that first trimester when she was experiencing morning sickness and all those aches and pains and mood swings that Joseph wouldn't catch on to what was going on. I don't know. Three months, Joseph is without his fiance. You know what? When we turn to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to find out that Mary is found out to be with child. Maybe one of your biggest fears is to be found out. 
for who you truly are. Maybe your biggest fear is to be found out for what's actually going on in your life. i got to tell you, one of my biggest fears is looking like a dummy up on this stage in front of people. To be found out that I don't have it all together, I don't have all the answers, and it's helpful to be open and honest about that. I'm just up here doing my best. But maybe your fear is to be found out. Let's continue on. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. We're going to talk about our second character this morning, and that is Joseph, Mary's fiancé. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. How many know it never goes the way that you thought it was going to go? This is how the birth of Jesus Christ went. It took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, thank goodness he didn't choose option number one, instead he resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but as he was considering these things, there's a lot to consider, isn't there? And I can just picture Joseph's mind is running wild, right? Mary, how, how could you? Who? Why? What? What are we going to do? What does this mean? We live in a small town. Word is going to spread fast. We can't go knock on every door and make sure they get the correct story and understand what God has done here. What does this mean for my business? I'm a carpenter. I'm self-employed. I'm an entrepreneur. Are people going to refuse my business because this is a shame and honor culture and people are going to boycott and picket outside our doors? Are they going to buy my furniture anymore? Are we going to have to leave town? Can we make it financially through this time? What if, what if, what if? You know what, maybe this weekend your mind has been running amok. Maybe you've been scrolling through Facebook and you've just been digging into all these stories and articles and headlines and sharing and posting and watching news articles and you're thinking, what's going to happen? It's March break. We had to cancel our plans. What if school gets canceled? Who's going to stay home with the kids? What if? What are we going to do? What happens when? What if? You know, I think we need to get control of our minds and hearts. We can't be controlled by fear. We can't let our minds run wild. We can't let our hearts run wild. You know what I've found about fear? Most of what you're afraid of never actually materializes in reality. Do you realize that? Most of what you allow to be concocted in your mind and heart of what ifs and what happens when and what ifs are just figures of your imagination. It's never going to really happen in reality. There's a healthy dose of fear where we respect what could be dangerous, but then there's an unhealthy dose of fear that paralyzes us in this concoction that we make in our mind of figures and happenings that may never actually play out in reality. We're trapped in our own mind running wild on us, in our own heart running away from us. Scripture says you've got to guard your mind, you've got to guard your heart. We need to be controlled by faith, not by fear. You don't need to let your mind run frantically, and thankfully, the angel didn't let Joseph's mind wander too long either. We come to verse 20, Matthew chapter 1. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. I just love the certainty in that promise. You can always bank on God's promises. They're true every time. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, that's a prophecy 700 years earlier in chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. 700 years earlier, God told the prophet Isaiah that Jesus Christ would come and the virgin would conceive and bear a son. The virgin birth. 700 years earlier. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. Submission, obedience, giving up control of fear, and instead exercising faith. That's what we need to do. We can't wait until we have all the answers. We can't wait until we know the timeline. We can't wait until there's a good plan in place. We need to exercise faith now and choose not to be controlled by fear and make irrational decisions. Now Joseph is anticipating the birth of a child, and it's not his. It's the savior of the world, the rescuer, the chosen one, the Messiah. I don't like holding babies. Maybe you do. I don't. Uh, I learned how to hold our own children, of course, but it always felt awkward. I remember a mom told me, Holding a baby is just like holding a football. And I don't believe that at all because I don't hold my babies like I hold a football. But I remember when I held my kids the day they were born in the palms of my hand, I just had this thought, this child is totally relying on me and their mother and me supporting their head and me somehow learning to get the child from this elbow over to this elbow, which I never figured out how to do that right, and it was always really awkward. But you think of the pressure that was on Joseph. He's not just holding his son. He's holding the Savior of the world. Think about the pressure. The nature of deity in the nurture of humanity. What a responsibility. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. To make the situation more complicated, the government gets involved. Have you ever filled out a government document? Do you know what I'm talking about? I want to be very careful and thank our government, and I want to encourage you to pray for and support our government. As a church, as an institution, an organization here in the province of Nova Scotia, in the country of Canada, we want to be sure to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. The reason why we're meeting together through these means online is because of the statement that was released on Friday recommending that we don't meet together in groups exceeding 150 people, and that includes us. We need to be thankful for our government. We need to pray for our government, for our health care system. We need to encourage them, and we always need to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. But the government that we're talking about in our story today is the impressive empire of Rome. And they weren't just impressive, they were very oppressive. They were over top of the people, over top of the Jewish government, and we're about to look at that. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, who liked to call himself the savior of the world. Just a little piece of trivia for you. 
that all the world should be registered. The Roman Empire was so big you could just call it the whole world because it extended across a vast amount of the ancient world. Verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now let me address an apparent contradiction in the text. I call it apparent because we don't believe there are any contradictions in the Bible. We believe the Bible is the truth of God as inspired in the original writings and inerrant. That means totally without error. We don't believe there are any contradictions in the word of God. But this one looks like, at surface level, an apparent contradiction. So I want to explain that. When you look at the timeline of history, it makes it clear that Quirinius actually served 10 years after the timeline of the story we're talking through today. So how do we explain that? If you're going to be sitting in a college classroom someday and the professor wants to twist your faith away from dependency on the Bible and he points to this, I want you to be able to give an answer. So here are two suggestions. Number one, uh, historical evidence and archaeology has pointed to the fact that potentially Quirinius could have been two separate individuals or potentially the same individual serving two stints as governor. So that would solve the problem right there. The second one is in the language itself. When you look at the Greek where it says the first registration, it would be very easy to translate the word first as before. And adjusting the syntax of the verse ever so slightly, you could read it as this was the registration before Quirinius was governor of Syria, which explains the matter as well. If all of that went over your head, just take a sip of coffee and we're going to move right along here. Why would the Roman Empire have a registration? Let's dig into the context of the situation. There are probably three reasons why all of the world had to be taxed or registered. And it wasn't just for tax. One of the reasons was definitely for tax. They had to pay for this massive Roman Empire. You've heard that all roads lead to Rome. At its peak, the Roman road system was over 10,000 miles in length of paved cobblestone streets extending all the way up to Scotland into Europe, which is absolutely incredible. They had to pay for that somehow, so they taxed the people. That's one reason. The second reason was to get an account of all the able-bodied fighting men in case they had to draft them to go to war to fight for the Roman Empire. And then the third reason was because Caesar Augustus was very prideful and arrogant, and he wanted a number to be able to boast about. Here's how many people are in my empire in my time, to get that written down in history as his legacy. That's scary stuff. You think about Mary and Joseph thinking through the possibilities. Joseph, you might have to go off to war and fight for the empire of Rome while I'm back here having a baby. Or maybe... Quite potentially, we're going to have to pay a lot of tax money. And money is something that we can't afford as entrepreneurs, carpenters, about to have a baby, about to get married. This is a scary situation for them. and There's a lot of fear there. Luke chapter 2 and verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who is with child. You've probably heard the name King David, David and Goliath, the giant. King David is a prominent figure. He's a character well-known in the Old Testament. He's a man after God's own heart. He's the true and rightful first king of Israel. King David grew up in the little town of Bethlehem. He was a shepherd boy 
He was the youngest of, I think it was seven sons that Jesse had. David is out in the field watching after sheep. I just want to point that out. Joseph is a long since descendant of the great King David. It's actually part of the prophecy regarding Jesus. Verse 6. While they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. How, how convenient, right? And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, which is probably a long band, maybe 18 feet long, with salt placed in it. And it would be wrapped tightly around the infant, keeping all of the infant's limbs tight against its sides. And they believed that that allowed for the limbs to grow straight and proper, just a medical practice of their day. And then Jesus was laid in a manger. Probably shouldn't picture a wooden cradle. It's probably a stone carved out feeding trough. Because there was no place for them in the inn. That part just blows me away. Sometimes we hear that at Christmas time. There was no room for them in the inn. And we kind of we use that as a symbol to say, is there room in your heart for Jesus today? Are you shutting him out? Was there really nobody who saw a pregnant woman and thought, you know, I'm just here on vacation. I'm just enjoying my room here in the inn. Surely I can give this pregnant woman who's about to give birth, her water just broke, I can let her use this room. I can spend the night out there. Was there really nobody who would do that? Do you know what I think? I wasn't there, so this is just a thought, just an assumption. So take it for what it's worth. I think the people were scared too. I think they were there for the Roman registration. They didn't know if they'd be called off to war. They didn't know how much money they owed. They didn't know if they could make it financially. They were scared too. And fear causes us to focus on ourselves, doesn't it? When you're afraid, we go to our natural instinct of self-preservation. We're selfish. Survival of the fittest. We think about number one. All these people who are crowding this in, they're thinking about themselves. When they see a pregnant woman walk to the door, they're thinking, no, this is my room. They can't see the people around them because they're blinded by fear. And I've got to tell you, we cannot be blinded by fear. We cannot be controlled by fear. We have a great opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And we need to act. We need to give up our place. We need to give up our priority so that other people can benefit through this season in life. We can't be blinded by our fear. I would hope that we would give up our room for a woman who's pregnant about to give birth. Can I point out as inconvenient and scary as this whole situation was for Mary and Joseph and everyone else who's unsure about their future, God is still working out his eternal plans and purposes for humanity. Do you realize that? Let's jump to Micah 5 and verse 2. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Do you realize that's written 700, 750 years before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem? Do you know that God knew before the foundation of the world that Mary and Joseph were going to have to take an unexpected trip and the baby was just going to come as they're in Bethlehem to fulfill 700 years of prophecy? 
Mary and Joseph are thinking, this is inconvenient. Why couldn't we be at home? And God is thinking, this is fulfilling my eternal purposes for the salvation and redemption of mankind. Do you know that God can work through this? I don't believe God caused the coronavirus. I don't believe that's in line with God's character. But I believe that God can work through this situation that we're in. And I believe this is a major opportunity where people are going to turn to God in faith. This is an uncomfortable situation. It draws people out of their comfort zones. People are going to be looking for answers and hope. And we pray that they would turn to Jesus Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life, as has been said today. You can turn to Jesus today, right now, from the comfort of your home, driving in your car, in a coffee shop. You can turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ. God is working through any situation. He's sovereign. He is above all. Corona doesn't stop his plan. He can work in spite of viruses. He knows every virus. He knows all the viruses that have ever been and ever will be. And he's working in spite of them. God wants you to know that you can release control because he is in control. He's always been in control. He will always be in control. God is immutable. That's the part of his character that says he never changes. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's talk about our final characters as we bring this to a close today. Number three is the shepherds. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. In the same region of Bethlehem, There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus is the good shepherd? He's watching over his flock. We are the sheep of his pasture. Even if we're in the valley of the shadow of death, the good shepherd is there and present. He's leading us, guiding us, setting a table before us. Jesus is the good shepherd watching over his sheep, even if it feels like we're in a dark season of the night. I just picture these shepherds, they're out in the field, they're doing the same thing they do every night. I don't know how anybody sleeps out in the woods. I've mentioned that camping is just laying in a tent or a hammock and waiting for morning to come, right? You're just listening to every sound through the woods. These shepherds are keeping an eye out for bears, for lions, for wolves. They're protecting their sheep. And I think this is the exact same job in the same place Maybe the exact same field where King David would have been watching his sheep as a boy. And then it even adds more light to the story when you see that historically, potentially these were the very sheep that were prepped for sacrifice in the temple once a year. These shepherds are about to be invited to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they've spent their lives preparing the lambs for slaughter in the temple Jesus Christ was about to rescue them from the the purpose of their whole lives, raising lambs to be slaughtered. Jesus was going to be the sacrifice once and for all. No other lamb needed to die. I think about these shepherds out in the field. Here's a point that speaks to our cultural moment. Shepherds were outcasts of society. They literally lived outside of the town limits. Shepherds were at the bottom rung of the economic ladder. They were about as blue collar as you could get to the point where people didn't pay attention to them and they were shunned from society. When they're out watching their sheep, it was a 24-7 job. They weren't able to hold to the Jewish Sabbath and therefore they were ceremonially unclean. 
They literally had to practice social distancing. Does that not speak to our current cultural moment? These shepherds are out in the field, and I love this. That is who God chose to send the angels to announce the birth of his son, to the outcasts who were shut out from society. That's these shepherds. Luke chapter 2 and verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. The Hebrew term for glory means weighty, heavy. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, fear not. The same command three times in a row. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day, in this circumstance, in this season of life, in this inconvenience, this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. God is sovereign over all the earth, and we are under the care and intention and shadow of his glory and his love for humanity. He is not willing that any should suffer or perish, but to have everlasting life. God is watching over us. God is sovereign over us. His son Jesus, the rescuer, is for us. He's given for us. You can find him, you can know him, you can choose to embrace God through faith in his son Jesus Christ even now as you're watching on your phone or on your computer. Luke chapter 2 and verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You know, it's... It's no coincidence that you're watching this video today. Do you realize that? Whether it's later on this week and it popped up on your YouTube feed or on your social feed and you figured you'd just click on it. It's no coincidence that God has this message for you here today. In a season of life when people are looking for answers, looking for hope, looking to see what the future holds, God has you watching this video so that you can see that he is in control, he has a plan, he has purposes, and his desire for you is to turn to him through faith in Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross for you. You can make that decision right now by faith. Just let God know that you want his gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And then contact us. We would love to continue that conversation with you, pray for you, and encourage you. Made known to us. Verse 16. They went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let me conclude with this. I don't know which character best represents you. Maybe you have a loud confidence like the shepherds who saw Jesus. They heard the message. They saw the angels. They got to see Jesus and Mary and Joseph. They believed and now they're spreading his word. 
praise God that you have a confident faith like the shepherds. Maybe you're a little more skeptical and maybe you're like the crowd who might have heard the shepherds and you're kind of wondering, what does all this mean? Is this just religion? Is this just a crutch that people lean on in hard times? What could this baby mean for humanity? Are these things true? Maybe you're watching this video and you just stopped in to see what this was all about and you're a little inquisitive, but you're quite skeptical. Maybe you're the crowd that heard the news from the shepherds. Maybe you're like Mary and that news isn't something that you're wondering about. It's something that you're treasuring up and pondering in your heart. You're chewing this over. You're seeing what God would have for you and what your response should be. If the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart in this moment, in this time, and God is speaking to you directly in this season of life with the whole conversation about Corona, I want you to know that God is for you. God is with you. God is so for you and he wants to be so with you that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Jesus paid the punishment of your sin. The only reason that he was the one to do it is because he's the God-man, the virgin birth. He doesn't have a sinful nature like you and I. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. All the stuff that clutters up your life, all the things that cling to you and entrap you and the control of fear. And he is calling for you to repent, to turn to him. That means to let go of the control of fear and to embrace him through faith. A relationship with God the Father is the number one reason why we are placed on this planet. And in a time when people are looking for reasons and hope and purpose and options, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. If you would turn to him today, there is no better day to make the decision because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you'd like to make that decision right now from wherever you are, in your living room, behind your screen, watching your phone. I want to encourage you, just take a moment and talk to God. If you've never prayed before, it doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be weird. There's nothing magical about it. Just talk to God in the quiet of your heart and your thoughts. Speak to God. Let him know that you realize through this whole conversation what's happening in society, the frailty of your humanity. And the fact that sin has so enraptured our lives, we're stuck in situations like these. The punishment of sin is death. Thank God that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And through faith, embrace him and trust him. Enter into a relationship with God the Father. Jesus Christ not only forgives us of our sins and removes the punishment of our sin, he also gives us new life, hope, joy. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is our guarantee of salvation. He gives us spiritual gifts to work out for his kingdom. If you want to make that decision today, that's totally up to you. God invites you to choose him by faith through the gift of his son. I pray that you would make that decision today. If you're tuning in with us online here, you're part of our church family here at Faith Baptist Church. If you're part of another church that had to postpone their service today and you're tuning in online, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a massive opportunity that we have to stand up to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We get to fight fear and embrace faith. We get to be confident beacons of light for a world around us that is looking for hope, that is looking for answers. 
instead of focusing on how am I going to take care of myself, where am I going to find toilet paper, do I have enough preservatives, maybe we can focus on the people around us in our community. Maybe we can think about our classmates, our coworkers, our friends and family. Who can you call right now after this video ends and offer to get them groceries, to let them borrow some of your stash of toilet paper, to encourage them, to comfort them, to pray for them? How can we be the hands and feet of Jesus in a season where people are looking for hope and looking for options? I want to end our time together today by taking some time to pray. We're calling the church to pray. We believe that our first response in any situation needs to be prayer and praise. We need to turn to God in prayer. It's not our last resort. We don't wait until things get extreme or whatever you want to call them before we turn to God in prayer. We turn to God in prayer first. So we're calling the church to pray. We want to pray for our government. We want to pray for those affected by the coronavirus. We want to pray for the fear that's in our communities. And we want to pray that God would show us the opportunities that he would have for us to be his hands and feet in our community. So would you join me as I pray to close this service? And then I'll have some closing remarks before we sign off today. Father God, I just thank you so much for who you are, for your word, for the Christmas story, for the fact that Jesus came to the earth willingly to be born of a virgin, to live a perfectly sinless life, and to die on the cross to pay the punishment and the penalty of our sins so that we don't have to face that suffering, we don't have to perish, but we can have eternal life because we believe, we trust, we place our faith in him. God, I pray if there are any following us online right now, who need to make that decision. God, I pray that you would prompt them to make that decision now and to reach out so that we can encourage them, we can continue that conversation with them, and we can pray for them. God, we pray for those affected by corona, either directly or through fear, or maybe a family member or a friend around the world, people away on trips. God, we just pray for your protection, your direction. We pray that you would stop this virus, God, but God, ultimately, we pray for your purpose and your will to work out in spite of it, Father. We thank you that you are at work, that you aren't some distant um, being that just watches what's happening, but you are involved, that you care about us. That if you care for the sparrows that are fairly worthless, how much more do you care for us? We thank you so much that you love us, that you love the whole world, that your message of good news on that Christmas day was to all people, God, we pray for our government. God, we pray that you would encourage them, help them to make right decisions. God, I pray that you would be with them in how they decide how to make these statements, how to not continue this conversation of fear, but to uh, do all they can to lead our country in this time. We pray for our health care system. We pray that you would prepare them, that you would bring people alongside to help them, that you would help, um, help them to rely on you through this, Father. God, we pray that you would show us opportunities in our own community where we would be able to stand up and be the hands and feet of Jesus. In an age of social distancing, God, help us to know where we can unite with people to encourage and comfort and pray, to run errands for them, to do what needs to be done. God, help us to step up and serve your kingdom in this way. God, I pray now that you would take this message and you would bless those who hear it,
God, we claim your promise that your word would not return void. We rest and rely on you and your sovereignty and the fact that you're in control through all of this, Father. We thank you for who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Just a few closing comments as we uh, end this live broadcast for the first time. Thank you so much for your patience with us, for staying tuned in. Um, if you would comment, if you would share, if you would subscribe, we know that there are people who didn't realize this was happening this morning, who didn't have access to it. Maybe you have friends, family members who don't have access to the internet. Maybe they're not good with technology. They don't have a home computer. Maybe you could pop over with your phone, your laptop, invite them over to your house. Uh, be sure and practice social distancing, but take the opportunity to share this message with the people who aren't able to hear it today. We want to let you know that uh, we're just as uncertain of the future as you are, but we do believe God's in control. We're going to be here giving this live broadcast, Lord willing, next week and the weeks to come if necessary. We can't wait to be physically back in this place, gathered together with our church family. That's going to be exciting, isn't it? We're going to get to celebrate, to be back together again. Uh, we so value community here. We want to encourage you to be part of one of our community groups. If you're not part of a group, what better season to get into a small group of people than in a time where we can't meet physically as a church? So you can find that information on our website, on our app. You can reach out to us. We would love to point you in that direction. Thank you so much for watching our online broadcast. We hope to see you at this time again next week. And of course, this will be posted throughout the week on other media platforms but we pray that you'd have a great day. God bless you. His face shine upon you. And we'll see you back in this context, Lord willing, next Sunday.